Hey friends, this is Laura Hutchinson. Welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. I'm the pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and today we are finishing up my sermon series, Jesus Says I Am. Today, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we started the worship service uh, in kind of a humorous way with people running down the aisles asking members of the congregation, do you know the way? Do you know the way? Do you know the way? No, I don't know the way. Do you know the way? And of course, the way is Jesus. So today we wrap it up. We, we listen. We have listened to Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. And now Jesus is the way. So I hope and pray that you are blessed by this message and that God is with you in your lives, guiding you every step of your way. Feel confident in putting your life in Jesus's hands. Because Jesus put his life down for you. Let us worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I am going. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, there are many reasons why Jesus was born into this world. And there are many ways that Christ blesses us as we give our lives to him. And reading the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we grow to understand these reasons for his birth, the goals of his ministry, and purpose for his crucifixion and his resurrection. But the essence of who Jesus is is never quite as clear as it is in the Gospel of John. As we wrap up the four-week sermon series titled Jesus Says I Am, we took a little break last week for Pentecost, so this is the last one we're picking back up. I would like to remind you of what we've already studied. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. And today, Jesus says, I am and the way, and the truth, and the life. These metaphors, along with a few others in John's Gospel, help us to understand the reality of who and what Jesus is to us. You remember, as a shepherd, Jesus is a guide, a caregiver, and a protector, always willing to lay his life down for us. As the bread of life, Jesus feeds our souls in a way that nothing on earth ever could. He fills us up. He helps us to be satisfied and content no matter what is happening around us. And the spiritual nourishment that he provides us will fuel us on into eternity with God. As the light of the world, Jesus brings us clarity and focus on what's true and honest in life. Something that the world has a really hard time offering, right? Jesus lights our paths and drives away everything that might confuse us or push us off course as we make our way through this life and on to heaven. And now, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. We find Jesus in our scripture today celebrating the Passover meal, and he sits with his closest disciples and he breaks bread with them. And as they eat, he tries to prepare them for what is to come. He tries to tell them that he is going to be betrayed by one of them. He tries to explain to them that he will not be with them for much longer. He washes their feet as a lesson 
of what it should look like when they take over Jesus's, over the leadership of the movement that Jesus started when he's gone. And he teaches them that the priorities of leadership in his name are humility, love, and having a servant's heart. And as Jesus talks, it is clear that the disciples begin to grow anxious. You can practically hear their thoughts as you read through John chapters 13 and 14. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Jesus is leaving us? We can't do this without him. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We certainly can't perform miracles like he does so that people will listen and believe what we're saying. And even if he does say that we know the place where, where he is going, even if he says we will be able to follow him, we don't know. We don't know anything. He can't leave us. I mean, you can almost hear their heart rates escalating as they talk themselves into a full-blown panic attack, right? And so, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. As you believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's family, there is plenty of room for everyone. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, then you will be also. Like so many people do, I often read this verse at funerals or at times of Christian grief. In fact, this was the scripture that God led me to when I was preparing for the eulogy for my uncle's funeral after he had taken his own life, which, of course, was a very troubling time for our family. And like they did for us, these words have brought comfort and courage to countless millions. Well, the People's New Testament commentary says that this is not a misuse of the text. It is totally appropriate to use the scripture at funerals and at times of grief. However, it originally had nothing to do with the death of Christians. In its context, it addresses the bewilderment of the disciples who are troubled at the departure of Jesus. More concretely, in the situation of the Johannine church, when I say Johannine, I mean John's church, right? The churches that he founded. In the situation of the Johannine church at the end of the first century, these words address the situation of those who wonder what it means to be a disciple of Christ when Jesus is no longer present. How can you follow an absent Lord? Where is Jesus now? You know, for us, 21st century people, we're somewhat used to the idea of following a Jesus that we can't see. I don't know many people or any people who have actually met Jesus face to face. Most Christians today do not live with the expectation that they will see the risen Christ before they die and go to heaven. Although, I will say that I hold out a hope that Jesus will come back for us before we die. Although I assume I'll die before he comes. You know what I mean? 
It's a different expectation, a different assumption we're living with. But at the time of the early church, those disciples of Christ were under the impression that while Jesus was gone for the moment, he was going to return any minute. And everything then would be okay. So as time went by and Jesus didn't return, the anxiety that those first 12 disciples felt, well, it rose up again in the minds of all of those early Christians. We thought Jesus would be back by now. You just see them like, we just, we thought Jesus would be back right now. Where is he? Where, 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 how do we follow him if he's not here? How do we find him? What's going to happen to us? Which way do we go? You know, I have always been a fan of clear instructions and directions. Some of you younger folks over here, Seth down there, yeah, you, you, you may not be aware of this, but there was a time when we didn't have GPS. I know, can you believe it? I can't, we didn't, we didn't have GPS. In order to find out how to get to a new place, we either had to read a map, and just so you know, a map is a really big piece of paper <laughs> with, with squiggly lines on it that represent roads. That's a map, right? So we had to follow a map, or we had to follow someone else's directions. And let me tell you, there were very few people who were able to give satisfactory directions, in my opinion. When I was in college, I cannot tell you how many times I ended up lost in the North Carolina farmland because the directions that I was given included something like, turn right at the gas station. Now there would be five gas stations in a row, one block after the other, and really they meant the third gas station, but that was the only gas station they ever really noticed. And so they said, turn right at the gas station, and I never made it to them. Because I also didn't have a cell phone, so I couldn't call them and ask them what to do. Another frustrating direction that was often given to me was, turn left at the field with the sheep. Well, very often, you know, they do tend to graze in different pastures, right? So I'd get to that field, and there'd be no sheep, so I'd just keep going because I saw no sheep. Again, never made it to my destination. Yeah, yeah. But even with GPS, I'll say this, directions and signs are still important. And I never get more frustrated than I do when signs are misleading or wrong or worse, missing. Last weekend, I was driving around downtown Atlanta with my niece, trying to find my way back from the um, aquarium to my sister's house. We're looking for the interstate. You know, I used to know my way around Atlanta, but nothing looks the same. It doesn't look the same as it did two months ago, much less the 10, 20 years ago that I lived there before. So I'm driving around downtown Atlanta, trying to find the interstate. My GPS goes out. I have no signal. So we drove in circles for half an hour following signs that said, I-75 this way to I-75 that I never found. I never found I-75 for 30 minutes. We followed in a circle. To I they just led us around right back, and we ended up at the same time five times. My niece was laughing. I was not. 
By the time I, the GPS finally kicked in, otherwise we might still be driving around down there. You might never have seen me again, honestly. And so when I got home, I had decided to pen a very harsh letter to the mayor of Atlanta complaining about the inadequate signage in her city. It's a problem. You see, I really do like clear instructions and clear directions to help me get on my way, or help guide me on my way. So I'm with Thomas in our scripture. When, he, when Jesus says to him, you know the way to the place where I'm going, and he pops back with, yeah, no we don't, Jesus. We don't know the way. How could we possibly know the way when you haven't told us yet? But Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, Jesus does not claim to teach the way or to give instruction about the truth or, the pres- or to present a way, but he claims to be the way the truth, and the life. Now, as a human claim, you know, like if one of us made that claim, it could only be heard as exclusive, narrow-minded arrogance, right? I mean, who says that? Only a narcissist would say that they're the only ones who know how to do something, that they're the, or how to go somewhere. And here Jesus is saying, not only does he know where to go, and that he's the only way who knows, but he is the way to get there. Like, you're not going to get there without me. He's making, though, not a human claim, but a divine claim. When he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, it is understandable only in the perspective of Johannine Christology in which Jesus represents God. In other words, Jesus says, I am God. Therefore, the only way to get to God is through God, through me. For a regular person to say such a thing is totally ridiculous, but for Jesus, the representative of God, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, For Jesus, this is the only thing he can say. Jesus is going to heaven. Jesus is God. So Jesus is the only one who can get the rest of us to heaven after he goes. It makes sense. But you know, Jesus doubles down here and he goes a step further. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, the People's New Testament commentary says that the claim is exclusive and should not be diluted to mean that Jesus is one of a number of ways or perspectives on truth and such. Modern readers who are accustomed to what we call relativistic pluralism may be offended by that claim, just as modern exclusivist Christian fundamentalists might celebrate it and condemn followers of other religions. Neither approach actually grasps the Johannine point. 
In this text, Jesus does not start with the presumption of a number of ways to God and then narrows them down just to me, or to to one, namely himself. Neither here nor elsewhere does the Bible assume that a large number of ways to God exists, ways that people can discover for themselves. Rather, the biblical assumption is that sinful humanity has closed off its own access to God And there is no way back to God from the human side. Human sin just shut down all the gates, all the doors, all the ways. There is no way. And so when all access is closed, to announce that there is one way open to God, well, this is good news. The reader is to celebrate what the text affirms, that the way to God is now open when it had been closed before. It is open through what God has done in Jesus Christ, not by our own achievements. So the text does not claim that adherents of all other religions are doomed if they do not make a personal confession of faith in Jesus before they die. That's not what John says. The text affirms that all who come to God come to the God who has revealed himself in Christ. John shares the monotheism of Judaism. There is one God. This God is the creator, universally present and active, the light that illuminates every human being, the reason and meaning inherent in the world itself. So for John, whoever comes to God comes to this God, the only God that there is. Whether or not this is the way that they would understand it, whether or not they have conscious awareness of the God revealed in Jesus, God is the only God. So for John, faith in God is nothing else than faith in God revealed in Jesus. For it is this God who is the creator, the sustainer, and the light giver to all people. This is the equivalent to the Jewish claim that there is only one God and whoever worships God worships the God revealed as the creator and redeemer in Jewish history. Scripture, Jewish scripture, and Jewish tradition. And so all these claims, they're inherent in a monotheistic faith. And John is a monotheist. So we know the way to God. We know the way to heaven because we know Jesus. If you've ever seen the show Friends, anybody, show of hands, anybody seen the show Friends? Okay. There's a funny episode in this sitcom where the whole gang of friends goes to London for one of their members, members of their group's wedding. And Joey is the super good looking, but not so smart guy in the group. You know, stereotypical, but awesome. And he has decided to be the ultimate American tourist. So he's decked out in his um, London flag hat and his London flag, or England, I mean his British flag hat, British flag um, t-shirt, and he's just got all the stuff, and he's just, he looks ridiculous. And in order to find his way around that foreign city, he has this large map. Remember kids, the big piece of paper with the squiggly lines, right? He's got this large map, and he keeps laying it down on the floor, and standing on it in order to get his bearings. So he says, I'm in the map, 
And then he figures out where he's going to go from there. Well, being a follower of Christ is a bit like that. As Christians living in the light of Christ, we are in the map. Like Joey, we're in the map. Except beyond that, we're in the map and the map is in us. And we don't need to know the way because the way is a part of us and we're already there. And before Jesus came into our lives, there was no map at all. There was no way there. Before Jesus, sin was the ultimate barrier to God for every person alive. But since Jesus is God, then knowing him for every person alive, knowing him, loving him, accepting him as our Savior, that door to heaven has been opened right in front of us, and we never have to wonder where to go again. It's just here. We're here. We're there. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. As we've already mentioned, it is the day that we remember all of the women and the men who served our countries in the armed forces and have now passed on, the people who have given their lives to our country. It's a somber day. Not really a day of celebration, right? In fact, a memory from a few years ago popped up on my Facebook page where I had said back then, After doing this several times today already, it occurs to me that saying Happy Memorial Day is like saying Happy Funeral Day. I think we all need to give Kamala Harris a hug because she did the same thing and now everybody's down on her. Everyone does it. It's a mistake everyone makes. It's a holiday that tends to fall at the end of the school year. It's the beginning of the summer, and most people have the day off. So we tend to make it a party weekend. So it's okay to be in a celebratory mood. But it's also a day when we contemplate the people who give their lives to protect and serve our country. So it's a sad day. However, Jesus might not see it that way. For all of the Christians that we remember, For all of the followers of Jesus who had the way to God within them as a gift of the Holy Spirit of God, this actually is a day of celebration, isn't it? These people who have gone on to be with God, they are not sad now. The circumstances of their deaths are grief-worthy. And if their loved ones are still living, they are sad because they're here without them. But for the people who are already there with God, they have made it. They're there, their home. They found the way, the truth, and the life, and they are with Jesus. Amen? They are no longer sitting in a room wondering how they'll follow him to where he is going. They are no longer anxious about anything this world has to offer, and they are not anxious about where Jesus has gone because they're with Jesus. And so I pray for all of us who are still left in this life. May we, one and all, know Jesus as our Savior. May we, one and all, learn to love 
Jesus and to follow Jesus in every moment of our lives. And may we, one and all, find the way to heaven, find the truth of our Creator, and receive once and for all eternal life in Christ. Amen? Oh,